it's time for the top five at five. Take it away, Sam Hauser. It's time for the Hinkle Law Office's Top 5. Hinkle Law Offices, representing motorcycle riders across New Mexico since 1990. Visit HinkleLawOffices.com. Take it away, Sam Hauser. By the way, it's been the Joey Hauser show so far in this first game. <laughs> Ten of the first 26 points for Michigan State. They just showed uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hauser on the television feed supporting, because that's what we do in this family. We look out for each other. We cheer each other on, even though I picked against them in the last round, but we don't need to talk about that. Anyway, we start start with who's in, who's out for top five. It's who is in, and it's New Mexico United officially now back in the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, and we know who New Mexico United is going to play in its first game, and we've had a lot of this lately between you know, obviously, college sports, we had it in bare knuckle. Once again, Albuquerque versus Las Cruces. It's going to be New Mexico United versus the UDA Soccer Academy at New Mexico State. It stands for University Degrees Abroad. It's a soccer academy. They have three of them are in the entire world. Three. Two of them are in England, and the other one is in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and they're playing United on the, in the Open Cup. And people are still, including myself, trying to figure out how this whole Open Cup thing works. But they talk about it being maybe the largest bracket in the history of mankind because in order to get through this whole thing these uh these club teams this team you just mentioned out of las cruces that they have to play these games in order to move along and they have some status uh along the way and now they're going to face a usl team this game at rio rancho high sam yeah tuesday april 4th seven o'clock at rio rancho high school that one, as we were talking about, you know, news that was kind of surprising today. I mean, did that one was was that a head scratcher for you at all, Joe? I mean, nothing against Rio Rancho; it's a great facility. But I think Open Cup, uh, you work with what's available. But just, I mean, your you thoughts do. on that? I I think the way they drop games in. You just have to kind of pivot. Uh, they played a Open Cup game last year at the UNM Soccer Complex. Don't know if the facility wasn't available, but they're going to take what they can get in order to get this game in. Let's not forget, United was like moving along. It might have even been a quarterfinal game uh, or a game that got them into the quarterfinals, but they played FC Dallas in the Open Cup, and that game wasn't played up there in Frisco or wherever uh, the Toyota Center or the Toyota venue that uh, FC Dallas normally plays in. They played it at SMU, where FC Dallas had never played, I don't think, and as a a result, I mean, United was able to win that game. So so I think you, especially around here, where you're so limited with places to play soccer, uh, you got to take what you can get, and um, I think it's actually, from a marketing standpoint, going to work out just fine. I think they're going to have a great crowd, and it's going to bring United to Rio Rancho, which... I think is like the second or third largest city in New Mexico at this point. And then you get to get those fans over from Bernalillo and everything like that. I like it. It's going to be a great atmosphere. And, um, you know, it, it just seems like whoever United people uh, plays and no matter where the games are at, 
people find a way to get uh, get out there and support that team. All right, uh, who else is uh, in, Sammy? By the way, that team plays in the United Premier Soccer League, the UPSL. And if you think USL Championship League has a bunch of teams, go look at how many teams are, are in that league. I mean, it's just part of soccer continuing to grow in the United States, obviously. But, yeah, the UDA Soccer Academy at New Mexico State and, and that's the story. You can get those kind of teams in the Open Cup. It's one of the things that we love about it. Also in Notre Dame finally hiring its next men's basketball coach to replace Mike Bray. And it didn't take him that long to do it at all. But maybe not one of the first names that might come to your mind. It's Penn State head coach Micah Shrewsbury going to be the new head coach in South Bend. It was a seven-year deal that he signed uh, with uh, with the Irish. We don't know the, the dollar amounts involved, but it was a seven-year deal for a guy who's He's got Indiana in his blood, so I mean, I'm sure Notre Dame fans are going to welcome him. You know, some of them might remember him from his his playing in early coaching days, but I, I mean, just I'm going to toss this one back to you, Joe, for, to take over for Mike Bray. I mean, I know you were thinking of maybe some big, big names along the way. This this was a story season for Penn State, but going after the Penn State coach to replace Mike Bray. Not a, a big name at all. I mean, how much do we follow Penn State basketball to begin with, Sam? But Shrewsbury got my attention when I was watching him towards the tail end of the year and he was beating Big Ten teams left and right. I found out his history a little bit. Now, first of all, he has been a, a head coach in South Bend along the way. Back in 05 through 07, he was at Indiana University at South Bend. But from there, I mean, he was an assistant for some big-time coaches. He was at Butler uh, with uh, Stevens there. Uh, he was with uh, Purdue, uh, Matt Painter. He coached with uh, there at Purdue. Then he went back to Brad Stevens with uh, the Celtics, then went back to Purdue. So uh, along the lines, this guy has not like taken a really quick approach to being a head coach certainly has paid his dues and been around a lot of smart people uh, around uh, Purdue and particularly Brad Stevens at both Butler and with the Celtics I mean if Brad Celt uh, Brad Stevens goes to the Celtics and has his choice of a million people wanting him to hire uh, to be part of the staff of an NBA team and he goes in the direction of Micah Strewsbury. Uh, I'm, I'm, I I say thumbs up, and I think uh, Notre Dame has got a guy that is going to be there for a while. I really like the hire, Sam. Certainly, if nothing else, you can say if somebody can build an, an NCAA tournament caliber college basketball program at Penn State, then you can probably <laughs> do it at Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I think that would be a, a, a really good um, an analogy there. I think that if you can beat it at Penn State, you should be able to compete and have, you know, like the, the brand in Notre Dame. And Penn State is big, but, you know, Notre Dame is Notre Dame. Uh, all right, what else, Sammy? All right, last one for who was in. It's the Wolverines of Utah Valley still not done playing basketball. They beat Cincinnati. Now they're going to the Orleans in Las Vegas for the NIT Final Four after playing the program's first ever home NIT game. The president of the university goes viral on social media for doing a dance with some pom-poms on, 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 on national television. It was a whole night of celebrations there. Utah Valley, 74-68 to over Cincinnati. So, again there, I, I mean, you know, we're kind of just marveling at the fact that, you know, the Utah Valley is gathering all this attention. All three games that they've won in the NIT... They've held all their opponents under 70 points. That's some postseason basketball. 
It is. Plus, they've been hanging some offense. I mean, they had 80-plus against the Lobos, 80-plus against Colorado. Uh, yeah, but who would have ever guessed that you're Utah Valley and you're expecting to see Cincinnati Bearcats roll into town? I mean, uh, the fans turned out big time, and that was a big win. And uh, Let's face it, we didn't know much about Utah Valley, but sitting next to you at the game in the pit there, they don't seem to have all that many weaknesses, and it's you know I think four out of the five starters were in double figures. The other guy was at nine points a game uh, or nine points last night. So uh, they they have different guys that can get it done, and I think it's neat that they're continuing on in the NIT, Sam. So there's going to be a whole lot of green at the Orleans for this NIT semifinals next week. You have Utah Valley. They're going to take on UAB, the Blazers. The other semifinal featuring Wisconsin and a team that literally has green in its name. It's the Mean Green of North Texas. Those are your final four teams still remaining in the NIT with Mean Green head coach Grant McCaslin. He's believed to be one of the top targets for Texas Tech at this point. Mark Adams fired. The Red Raiders have an open job and they're just waiting for him to be done coaching at this point because his team keeps on winning. Grant McCaslin of the Mean Green of North Texas. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be people, uh, you know, keeping an eye on three of the four coaches there in the NIT uh, finals. The, you know, uh, uh, Utah Valley and Mark Madsen, as we talked about, UAB having a good season, and then what you just said about uh, North Texas and the Mean Green. Who's out, Sam? All right, who's out? It's a mass exodus around the Mountain West over the last few days since we've been out of town uh, getting caught up here. The big news today... Uh, the second and third Lobos since the season ended to officially transfer. Emmanuel Quach uh, making that decision here a little while back, which you know, understandably so, try to get a, a, a new, try to get some new scenery after a couple of uh, season-ending injuries. But three-point shooter KJ Jenkins, co-captain KJ Jenkins, going portaling, followed by Josiah Alec making that decision earlier today, and we we posed the question. On Twitter at 1017, the team just getting the thoughts of Lobo fans. And there was some, there, there certainly was some sentimentality in acknowledging that he was a fan favorite. Everybody loved watching him, interacting with him. You know, we always take pictures with the kids and everything. But there was also just, you know, sad, surprised, and a- acknowledging that this is where we're heading in the world of college basketball. Yeah, it, it's it, he was not somebody that people would have thought of when you're saying who might not come back next year. Oh, Alec would probably not have been one very many people would have guessed. All no, right, if anything, there was a lot of other act. If anything, he was on my list of the ones that you kind of you almost had penciled in <laughs> for back yeah. next season. It's- Right, you know, he, he'll be the captain of the team. He'll be the rock yeah. on this team, the experienced, you know, guy in the middle, and see who they bring in around him. But instead, he's entered the portal and more than likely not going to be in a Lobo uniform. Other activity, though, in the league as well. Yeah, really picking up over the last couple of days here. John Tanjay from Colorado State. He's going to go uh, take his basketball prowess elsewhere. One that continues to surprise me when when things like this happen. Jake Hydebreeder. From Air Force going into the portal, I, I brought the you know, uh, I brought this up with you just because I I, I I I I will be honest, I will be fully honest here. You know, sports radio, we're supposed to know just about everything. I honestly did not know that if you were an Air Force Academy Falcon, that you could go in the transfer portal. I don't know the rules either, but I I bet 
since we're out here at Stadium 66 with the book right around the corner, I bet it's a little bit more complicated than the schools that are not, you know, a, a, you know, Air Force. Uh, Sam, um, the thing is, is this Heidbreder, Hyde yeah. Jake Heidbreder, right? Uh, their leading scorer, he looks like he's in eighth grade. He um, that that system seems to to fit his game nicely, but who knows? He might be sick of Joe Scott yelling at him left and right. So uh, he's entered the portal, as you mentioned, and all kinds of guys from Wyoming. Yeah, Wyoming down ten players that they were banking on to start the season. Two, a couple guys graduating. We know Hunter Maldonado finally graduating. Hunter Thompson graduating as well. But eight transfers. Over the course of the season, now gone from Wyoming. Again, Hunter Maldonado, Hunter Thompson, Graham, e- Graham Ike going into the portal, Xavier Ducell, Ethan Anderson, and then we already knew about uh, Noah Reynolds, Hunter, uh, Nate Barnhart about a week ago or so, and then the three Southern California guys, but our friend Alex Taylor, who covers the Cowboys there up in Laramie, uh, noting on social media, that's 85% of the scoring from this past season now no longer in Laramie, Wyoming. The, the optics are not good on that, Sam. You you had, like, this doesn't even count the three guys that left in the middle of the season, obviously, right? When you're talking about these all these guys that are leaving, or does that count those three? Uh, the, the eight transfer total does count those three. Okay, okay. Well, still, uh, I mean, so five in addition to that, the optics are not that are not good for your, uh, Coach Jeff Linder. He uh, he leans into this uh, thing. You know, I've I've heard, I've seen people that have gone to his practices and they talks about it. Either you know, you get it done here or transfer portal. Well, it sounds like. Uh, that players are, are taking them up on going into the transfer portal. Uh, so we got a total of 10 from Wyoming, including, you know, we knew Maldonado was gone and uh, Hunter, uh, you know, Thompson uh, were gone. And it was just like all of these other places. He, he, he's he got it. He's basically starting from scratch, Sal, Sam. Right. Yeah. Uh, from from, uh, from what I understand and trying to keep up with this again, uh, this is all from Alex Taylor uh, writes for the Cowboys up there. They're down to two players that had a scholarship on this last year's team that even have the option of coming back if, if they want to. As it stands right now, they don't really have a team right now they, for, for next season. They, 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 they don't. don't have a team. No, it, it, like terms of personnel, they're not going to be far from what New Mexico State is like starting to start with. Let's face it. I mean, there's no personnel up there. What's number four, Sam? All right, going back to the the coaching rumors around college basketball, because we've been saying we're going to be keeping up with the transfer portal a lot, but the coaching portal is just as hot these days. And some of the latest coaching rumors coming out of the the Texas area, going back to the WAC, Sam Houston State's head coach, Jason Hooten, believed to be the front runner for New Mexico State at the moment. Uh, The Aggies having their eye on him to take over the men's basketball program. Uh, Multiple reports indicating that Jason Hooten and his wife were actually in Las Cruces earlier today. Nothing coming out of it yet, but New Mexico State making that push to get uh, the guy from uh, Sam Houston State. Also being noted that Sam Houston State does not want to lose this coach either. They're ma- they're trying to up their offers to him as best they can with you know probably some limited resources, but he's in the middle of a little bidding war right now, Coach Hooten. And uh, Sam Houston stayed in the same conference as New Mexico State. And uh, they got beat, I believe, in the conference championship game uh, 
or, or what, what? What? What was Sam Houston State? I know I saw him in the NIT, Sam. Yeah, they, they were in the NIT as well. Uh, uh, Grand Canyon uh, was the one that uh, was that, the re- recipient from there. Like, yeah, okay, Grand Canyon. So obviously, uh, New Mexico State very familiar with uh, Hooten, and as you heard uh, Sam say, he was seen in Las Cruces with his wife. So pretty good uh, indication that that might be the next head coach. What is number three, Sam? Yeah, Sam Houston State, the number one seed in the WAC tournament. Because remember, even though Utah Valley was the regular season champion, they do their seeding a little bit differently. Sam Houston State, the number one seed, they lose to Grand Canyon in the WAC tournament semifinals. Yeah, the semifinals, right. Because then, because uh, Southern Utah played Grand Canyon in the finals because they had that wild finish against Utah Valley State. We've known for a little while now about Steve Belichick. He is the son of New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. But outside of just the the son of Bill Belichick with the mullet, we really don't know much else about Steve Belichick or you know his, some of his his big time duties. As much as even though they've been growing over the last couple of years, and as the story goes from Devin McCourty, there might be good reason for keeping Steve, uh, Steve Belichick behind the curtains. Although really. This is actually a worse look for Bill than it is for Steve. So Devin McCourty, former defensive back of the New England Patriots, won multiple Super Bowls, I think, with that team. He goes on the Green Light Podcast with Chris Long, son of Howie Long, former lineman himself. It's the Green Light Podcast with Chris Long. Devin McCourty, a guest on the show and telling a story about Steve Belichick. Was it hard respecting him in the beginning? And like, what did he do to earn people's respect? And what do you think is good about Steve? Because I really respected him. I liked him as a guy. Yeah, not for me. I think the one thing that I've loved about Steve is honesty. Yeah. Like, I remember Steve Steve takes over. Um, I forgot who left. I think Pat Graham left. Flo's moving to linebacker coach. And Steve said Bill tells him two weeks before the offseason program starts that he's going to be the safety coach. Mm-hmm. So he comes in there. Now he's walking in the room. It's me, Pat Chung, Deron Harmon, Nate Ebner. So he's walking in, and we got all these veterans. I'm older than Steve. Pat's older than Steve. He played with Duran, and he's probably like the same age as me. Mm-hmm. And he walks in there, and he goes, yo, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I don't know what the F I'm doing right now. My dad <laughs> told me two weeks ago that I was even going to have this job. And now I'm just sitting here like, I don't know, what the, like what's next? Yeah. And that first year, we all just worked together. Um, and then now, so now when I look at him, I think his growth has come because of the honesty, yeah. not coming in saying like, you know, my dad's Bill Belichick. I was born to coach. Like I'm going to do this. Nah, he came in there and it was like, I'm going to learn from some veterans that I got in this room, take advantage of that opportunity that I get. And I'm going to grow as a coach. Not to rehash the old outdated and tired Belichick Brady conversation that we had in New England after he went to Tampa. But goodness me, if that is not another notch against Bill Belichick. You mean hiring his son without really having a qualified guy get that job? Yeah, telling his son two weeks before they go to camp, hey, you're going to coach the safeties. And he's like, all right. Right. Well, I I, I mean, I'm not going to question Bill Belichick's decisions as a head coach. I'm not going to do that. I will say that his son's humility in this case obviously endeared him to those players around him. Oh, yeah. And with your last names like Belichick and you're a coach of a football team, whether you've known about it for, uh, you know, uh, two weeks or two years, I mean, uh, the fact that he is able to kind of like just say, hey, man, I, you know, I I don't know what I'm going to do and I need y'all's help. And obviously, I think 
with the brain of a Belichick that he probably is like going to get a lot better a lot quicker than maybe people would have given him credit for but that is an interesting story all right what else there sammy well we certainly had at least for my money our latest where were you moment in the world of sports with everything that had to come together all the the dominoes that had to fall the exact way we got the moment that that the entire world wanted in sports the final out one out to go in the World Baseball Classic. It's Japan in the U.S. Shohei Otani comes in to close and faces Mike Trout. He strikes out his teammate Mike Trout to end the game as the, the entire world is, is watching this game. Some of the numbers coming out, uh, we had heard from multiple reports that roughly 97% of all the TVs in Japan were watching that final at bat between Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Here in the United States, the highest ever rated World Baseball Classic game by far and away, uh, the whole game itself averaging 4.5 million viewers and that number up to 6.5 million in the final quarter hour of the game as we were getting up to that at bat. So, Sam, you know, 40 years from now, when people ask you about that legendary at bat, you will remember exactly where you were, right? You were at the Indigo Hotel in Los Angeles because both of us had just gotten back from the event that we had gone to. They had a little bit of a shindig after the event. And you were telling me in the Uber, you know, this could work out where this showdown uh, between Shoei and Trout could happen here in the ninth inning. And sure enough, we were both scrambling to get our key to get into our room and watch that and you know i heard like mad dog uh russo today with Stephen a smith or it was yesterday yeah talking about how how could it qualify as an epic showdown when trout didn't even get the bat on the ball are you in his camp or do you put it in there as that legendary showdown no it's very odd because mad dog has baseball he has some baseball. Loves credit. baseball. He he loves baseball. Yeah. He has baseball. He's on the MLB Network. His his takes are you know his takes are somewhat outdated with Havelcheck and everything. But he has baseball credibility. So to hear him say that, I, I just I, I I don't even know what uh, that that almost feels like him doing a first take thing, like just saying the thing for the sake of saying the thing. I I I have to. I I can't fully. I I can't grasp within me that he actually. With everything in his everything in his heart believes that there's no way. I think he thinks it was an ult, uh, epic showdown, but the at bat itself didn't really have much drama. Let's face it; it was a three-two count, and uh, Shohei threw the gyro pitch or the uh, the slider, whatever you want to call it, and Trout didn't get a bat on the ball throughout the at bat. So I kind of lean with Mad Dog in this case. I mean, if you want to talk about epic at bats, you know, let's go. Pull up the Kurt Gibson video and how that went on and on and on. He was fouling balls off of his foot and limping down to first before he hit that, uh, you know, that epic home run. To use the word epic one more time into right field. So anyway, I don't know what's well, number it, one. I Sam? guess it just depends on your, on your definition because you know we're, we're talking about two future Hall of Famers, one of the great hitters of our generation, one of the great pit, one of the greatest pitchers, one of the greatest ba- baseball players that will ever live until the end of time. And one of them was that much better than the other one. Like, I get, you know, you want to see Mike Trout foul off a couple ones or maybe even be the one to hit the home run to win it for the U.S. because we have that opinion being here in the U.S. But just because it was a strikeout, I don't look at that as, oh, well, then it was a disappointment. Shohei Otani was just, I mean, Shohei Otani threw a pitch that 
balls are not supposed to move that way when they come out of a pitcher's hand. No, no, but, you know, if anybody can hit that pitch, it's Mike Trout. I'm not even saying the last pitch, Sam. I mean, he didn't line one down the right field line. There's a couple hundred mile an hour fastballs, yeah. Well, yeah, but that's that would your professional basket, baseball player 100 miles an hour like something you see, you know, just about every time you're going to the plate. All right, what is number All 1, right. Sam? We'll argue about this more tomorrow. All right, what's number 1? All right, we're getting ready for the showdown, the marquee game of the night tonight, the headliner Gonzaga and UCLA, and it just so happens to come on the 17th anniversary of one of the more well-known, maybe even in itself a where were you game. The, one of the more well-known NCAA tournament games of the 21st century with UCLA and Gonzaga. One of my favorite moments of all time because it was a Gus Johnson. 71-70. So even with two made free throws, UCLA will still have a chance if they can rebound to tie this game up. Pendergraft, the inbounder on the baseline. And the only guy that you might think of fouling is Jeremy Pargo at 69%. They throw it to Morrison. He holds on. We don't want to foul Morrison. You make him get it over half court. You know you got to foul. And oh. a steal. Fogo. Inside. The freshman up. So much screaming. So much cheering. Because it was a major. I mean, it was a, a UCLA down 17 points of the game to come back and beat. Adam Morrison and Gonzaga and one of the thrillers and we'll see what we're in store for tonight with those two. Yeah, and I had to look at the box, of course. UCLA, coached by Ben Ben Howland, uh, led by guys like Jordan Farmer. Um, you know, the, not the name brand guys. Uh, Darren Collison was on that team as well. Uh, but then along with Adam Morrison, who, by the way, had a fantastic game. I mean, he had 24 points. He was 10 of 17 from the field. Uh, the other player that I recognized from that team, Jeremy Cargo. Uh, he was a guard for that Mark Few coach team. It is ironic, 17 years ago to the day, and they'll be tipping off here in a couple hours, and you can come out here to the book at Route 66 Casino Hotel. Right now, UCLA, a point-and-a-half point favorite over Gonzaga. That game in Vegas at the T-Mobile Center, the game you referenced, happened to be in Oakland where the Warriors played, so an NBA facility in I that game 17 years ago. Do you just want to throw this out as well for the sake of tonight's game? Uh, David Singleton, one of the players for UCLA, uh, injured himself uh, in the last game we talked to Darren Savino about. He says he's fine. No official word on his status uh, for tonight, but UCLA dealing with a little bo a little bit more of this now. One of their forwards, at, uh, Adam Bona, questionable for tonight's game. He suffered a shoulder injury. He was going to be the one tasked with going up against Drew Timmy. So, could be a, 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 yeah. a, a very strategic. UCLA is going to have to have its best coaching job of the season. It sounds like. I didn't give my, uh, ask one of my better questions uh, since I've been sitting in the seat when I asked Darren Savino, "Are you going to be at full strength in that game?" I really was asking about Singletary because he is a sharpshooter in a half. Uh, so he goes down with that ankle injury. I was actually asking him about that, but then he goes on to say, "We were missing this guy who was All Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. We also had this injury, the shoulder that you just mentioned." So anyway, uh, we'll see what uh, whether UCLA they won't be at, at full strength, but is it going to be good enough to get by the Zags.